book, there's a sense where the whole book of Ephesians is obviously what Paul wanted the Ephesian church to know. There's that sense where every um, everything he writes is what he wants to know. But if you guys remember what we've been going over week by week, uh, um, even last week, is we began looking at Ephesians 1, where we're at the part where Paul is praying for the believers, okay? Where Paul is praying for believers. And I want to ask you guys this question. Uh, I want to pr- ask you guys a question. What do you pray for other believers to know, right? What do you pray for other believers to know? Uh, last week, we looked at verses 17 of, uh, verse 16 and 18, where we saw uh, three points concerning regularly praying for other believers. And if you guys remember, even two weeks ago, we began that we should pray definitely for other believers. Then we got more specific. Uh, last week is we should pray for other believers to know God. We should pray for other believers to know God, okay? Um, just to review last week, what we saw, the three points is we should pray for other believers that God will reveal Himself to them, right? That God will reveal Himself to them. That's in verses 18, um, in the first, uh, or verse 17. Then we saw last time was also pray for other believers that they can understand the knowledge of God. That's in verses 18, the first half of verse 18. And then we circle back to verse 16 to say that we should pray for other believers um, the knowledge of God regularly. That this is not something we do once, but we should do regularly, okay? I have found uh, it's generally true in my life that whenever I go through a tough time or different trials or tribulation, um, we see that uh, knowing all this, knowing all this is actually going through those things is where I'm forced to know God or not forced where it's God works the circumstance for us to know God, for me to know God deeper in an intimate way, not just academic and that, but in a real relationship, deeper way. So in light of this, in light of the fact that even in our own experience, what God brings about trials and difficulties and tribulation, oftentimes is God allows us to know Him deeper. How much more when we even pray for other believers? We should pray for their needs. We should pray for the petitions, but also pray for them to grow in their knowledge of God. Okay, so today we're going to see specific now the specific contents of knowing God. Okay, if you're taking notes, we're going to see three specific contents that we should pray for other believers to know. And what I mean by know, it's more than just head knowledge, but to actually to apply this and also as meditation as their love for God. Okay, these are three points if you're taking notes. Point number one, pray for other believers to know the hope of his calling. Uh, Pray for other believers to know the hope of his calling. That is Christ or or God's calling in our life. Okay, that's going to be focused on past things that God has done for us. Okay. Pray, number one, for other believers to know the hope of His calling. Pray for other believers to know the hope of His calling. This is in verses 18. Okay, verses 18. Um, In the middle of verse 18. That's point number one. Pray for other believers to know the hope of His calling. Um, That's in the middle of verse 18. Then the second part is going to be point number two. Pray for other believers to know the wealth of His inheritance, of our inheritance. Pray for other believers to know the wealth of our inheritance. Pray for other believers to know the wealth of our inheritance. That's in verses 18, uh, second, uh, the, the last, sorry, the last portion, okay? Um, pray for other believers to know the wealth of our inheritance. That's in verses 18, the last portion. 
And the third part, if you're taking notes, is pray for other believers to know the greatness of His power. Pray for other believers to know the greatness of His power. Um, this is actually in verses 19 to 23, but for the sake of time, I'm going to just only look at verse 19. And then next week, we're going to see the contents of what Paul really wants us to know. How great is the power of God through Christ. Okay. Um, again, point number three is pray for other believers to know the greatness of His power. Pray for other believers to know the greatness of His power. This is going to be in verses 19. Okay. Um, setting this up, remember this is what Paul's trying to do is he's praying for the believers. He's trying to pray for the believers. Uh, specifically, he's saying he pray regularly. There's a habit. He talks about his habit of praying, which we should also pray. Then he prays specifically saying, I pray for you to know God. Okay, that's what we looked at last week. But now when we ask, what is it about God that we, he wants us to know? We see three things, what he wants us to know. And then next week, we're going to look at one of the things he wants us to know is about the, um, the greatness of his power. And he's going to describe in three ways his power. That's going to be for next week. Okay. So in looking at this, I think that's important as we, um, even as I shared, um, this is a time where I think a lot of people are wanting to know more about prayer. Uh, want to know more about prayer. I think I mentioned every week about how on Google uh, search, um, the word pray, there is a steep climb in terms of people searching the word pray. Um, this is a time where I think we should be praying for a lot of things in a lot of parts of the world. And even for um, our country and around the world. And even for those that we love and those around us. So in seeing about what God's word has to teach about prayer. We see one of the things we pray is point number one. Is when we pray for people to know God. We're asking what is it that we should pray? What are some examples of things we should pray for them to know about God? We see point number one. Pray for other believers to know the hope of his calling. Okay. By the way, with all these points, um, there's a past. The first point, there's a focus on what God has done in the past. Then there's a focus on point number two, God's work on the in the future. And then the third point is God's work in the present. Okay. So there is this uh, past, future, and present with each one of the points, uh, respectively. So in you, when you look at point number one, pray for other believers to know the hope of His calling. In verses 18, it says, so that you will know what the hope of uh, you will know the uh, what is the hope of his calling. Okay, what Paul wants us to know, and what he prays for the believers in Ephes- the Ephesians church to know, is the hope of his calling. Is the hope of his calling, which then leads to ask the question: What does the word hope means? Okay, uh, what is the meaning of the word hope? Scripture does focus a lot on hope. In fact, the word hope appears a lot more in the Old Testament. Than even in the New Testament. But just focusing on the New Testament, this word appears quite a bit. Um, it appears 53 times, right? You think in the New Testament is a book, there's 27 books, and it appears 53 times, okay? And of course, there's other synonym with hope that we have, like faith, um, that's even much more. But here we, I want to emphasize is this, that when we go through crisis, when we're going through things, uh, whatever trials, or even just living the day-to-day life, if there's no hope, I think we don't have the motivation to do things, and maybe perhaps we would even be in a more darker spot. And when it says here the word hope, we ask the question, what does the word mean with hope? Um, in the Greek, the idea has the idea of expectation, 
expectation and also the idea of confidence, okay? And one of its use outside the Bible, this word for hope, this specific word is actually used to even say um, in classical literature of even, for instance, um, the Peloponnesian War, if you guys remember, how they have hope, or if you guys know about that with history, they have hope with their big navy, okay? With their navy. So we see there's a theme of confidence, okay? But looking at more in the New Testament, looking at more specifically in the New Testament, I think it has the emphasis of us having our hope in God, okay? In God, in our plan, okay? Sometimes we might not even be able to have confidence in ourselves. Sometimes we might not even be have confidence in ourselves. If we're honest with the Scripture and we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we discover that, man, there might not be a lot of reason to have confidence in ourselves, in our in of it ourselves, okay? Um, but God's Word focuses on that we should always have confidence in God. I know I say this all the time. Um, I'm not so much focusing at times on us having our own confidence in ourselves, but our confidence should be more on God and in Christ. But as we have confidence in God and in Christ, we would also slowly have confidence in God working in us, okay? So the object of, uh, of our confidence, who we turn our confidence and our hope in, what Scripture often emphasizes, is actually in God. But it's not just only God in regards to our circumstance, but also God working within us. When you says here the hope of His co- uh, calling, what Paul is actually emphasizing here is not just only hope that God is sovereign in control of our circumstance, but he's now looking at God, yes, but also what God is working specifically within us. Because as it says, the hope of his calling. And if you look earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, earlier part in verses 3, if you remember with verses 3, there's a focus of what God has done even before time. Even before time, even before we were ever born, God's word says that He was in work with us. He knows us even when before we were created, before we were even known ourselves. Okay, I know some of those of you guys in high school might be going, or middle school might be going through a time where you're trying to figure out your identity. But God is amazing in the sense that He knows who we are, even when we're trying to figure out ourselves. And in Ephesians 1, if you notice, there's a focus right uh, in the beginning of the chapter. Um, there's a focus on God's choice of us or election, even before creation in verses 3 uh, and 4, even with predestination mentioned in verses 5. So all these things, when Paul is saying that like he's praying for us, for the believers in Ephesus to know of God's calling of us. It's actually going back to say, hey, I've taught you this, but now I'm praying for you to know. I'm praying for you to apply this and to deeply know these truths in a relationship way. Okay? So what's the a content of his the hope? Again, like I said in verses 18, it's of his calling. Okay? It's looking back to all the things he said of what God has done for us, even before time, even before we even chose him. God, as it says, He's chose us and worked and has a plan to save us. And part of the plan is also sending Christ to die for our sins. And part of that plan is also the Holy Spirit is sent to, to draw us and work in our heart, to soften our heart, and to see, show us His love and His kindness and His grace. Okay? So this is what the calling is referring to. Uh, everything earlier in Ephesians 1. I think there's a sense we could think of calling in two ways, right? Like what each one of us do for a living or an occupation or, or as a thing to serve God 
Okay, but there, I think there's also a sense where every believer is called in the sense of salvation, of what God has done, the plan, as we saw earlier, all the weeks earlier with Ephesians 1, where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is all involved with saving us. And why why should we know all these things? Um, right now, um, you guys know every Tuesday night, one of the reasons why our Tuesday Bible study has been moved to Thursday is I'm actually teaching right now um, with the pastors overseas for this overseas seminar. I'm just going over what is called the order of salvation, which is basically what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit done to save us. Um, a lot of it is theological, uh, but it's rooted in Scripture. And the question we would ask then is, why is this important? Why is it important we went so slowly through Ephesians? Every word, redemption, we unpacked it. We covered the word adoption and unpacked it as a biblical theology from the flow of Genesis to Revelation. Why is that all important? Is so that we would know of God's precious love. I think what the order of salvation, what God has done to save us, is almost like a diamond ring. Uh, it could be so simple to say that Christ died for us and we believe Him. A child can understand. But there's a sense, I think, when we go over deeper what Ephesians and other books like Romans teach about what God has done for salvation, it's almost like a diamond ring when you look. There's more than one side for a diamond. Yes? There's different face or there's different aspect. And when you see all of it together, you see, wow, this is how much God loves me and cares for me. So that when we go through different trials, um, I think as we grow more as a believer, we learn to... to be affirmed that God loves and cares for us, less with our circumstance, but more of what God has done in saving us. Okay, Our circumstance might change, but God's love for us, if you have trusted in Him, never changes. Okay, His love and care for us never changes. So this is where we see, as it says here, our hope is not in our circumstance, uh, not in God, in God, only through our circumstance, though there, that could God bring about bring confidence. But ultimately, our hope in God is through what He says He will do. In other words, it's based upon God's Word more than even our experience. It's based upon God's Word we believe and then we live it out experiencing this. Okay. So as application, sometimes people might ask, like I said earlier, um, why are we going over slowly things like predestination, things like redemption, things like adoption, things like calling and all the things we saw earlier? The reason why we do this is so that we would have hope, okay? Ultimately, is that we would have hope. So that even when I'm going through a tough situation, I might not know exactly why this is happening. There might be a lot of questions of why am I suffering, why am I going through this? But one thing should be clear. In light of all these things we've been looking at earlier in Ephesians 1, God is in control. Listen, God is in control. God is sovereign. I don't know what He's sometimes doing exactly. I could sometimes see some of the things that He's working and doing in my own life in making me being transformed to love Him more and also to trust in Him more. But still, this is ultimately so that we would have hope. Okay? So that we would have hope. So, second application. Do you study what God has done to save you as a source of your hope? Okay? Um, do you study what God's Word has done so that your hope would increase. Um, I've been a believer now for 21 years. I'm always amazed with what God's Word has to teach us. And I know there's many of you guys are much more seasoned saints than I am in my life. But one of the things I'm always amazed is God's Word. There's always something new to learn. But it's not just academic head knowledge. It's to the point where it's like, wow, I want to hope in Him. I want to love Him more. 
Okay, so in light of the second application question, do you study God's word or see specifically what he has done to save you so that your source and hope in God increases? Okay, now I know most of us are relatively young in our congregation. It's sometimes one of the best things to know ahead of time before we go through trials. Is sometimes the best thing is what? The best kind of medicine is ours, what? Preventative medicine, yes? So even if you say, Jimmy, this message is irrelevant to me. I'm healthy and everything's well in my life. It's something to know ahead of time so that our hope will continue to grow. Our hope is organic, that we would continuously grow. It's a living relationship. What I mean by organic is that we would continuously grow rooted in God for the t- times ahead of us. And difficult days will be ahead of us, right? I say this all the time uh, for those in marriage counseling. Some of you guys probably heard me say this. Um, for all those that I, we have marriage counseling, that I have with you guys as a pastoral marriage counseling, I always want to encourage everyone before they get married, we usually have premarital counseling. And premarital counseling is interesting because people can be so focused. Oh, I can't wait to get married, right? People are burning and ready to be married. People are thinking about the wedding day. And one of the things I want to encourage is to think beyond the wedding day, okay? Where one of the things I would tell people is like, you have to realize when you say I do, you got to realize your deepest, your, your darkest, longest day in your life and in your marriage is ahead of you. And we should celebrate. There should be a joy. But we should also realize with any marriage, when we, people celebrate, there's also it's an act of commitment. It's an act of loving commitment. That's why it's so important we celebrate it. But also we need to realize that our longest, darkest days of marriage or of life is still ahead of us, for most of us. So in light of all this, this is why we need to study God's Word to see what He's done for us that can never be taken away by circumstance. Oh, even if circumstance change, God has already saved us through Jesus Christ. We need to see that. We need to focus on that, so study that, so our hope would be what? Anchored deeply and stable even through the tough times. Third application question, do you also pray for other believers to know deeper they're calling in Christ. Do you pray for them to know deeper? I think we should we should definitely work on praying for specific needs, right? For those that we love, if we know someone with coronavirus, we should definitely be praying for them. Uh, and we as a church, when we hear someone has coronavirus or have uh, health issues, we should definitely be praying for them, not just only on Sunday, but as even as a habit throughout the days of our week to pray for them. But still also as well, we must also never miss the spiritual component of also we should pray for people to also know deeper their calling in Christ. Both in terms of their calling, in terms of what God has done to save them, and also know specific will of God in their life to live out. Okay, This is what we are called to do. Okay, This is what we're called to do. That's point number one. So point number two, if point number one is pray for other believers to know the hope of His calling, that is of God's calling for us. Point number two is this. Pray for other believers to know the wealth of our inheritance. Pray for other believers to know the wealth of our inheritance. This is taught in the last um, section of verses 18. Verses 18, the section that's relevant to our point number two says this. What are the riches of the glory of an inheritance uh, in the saints? Okay. Um, each one of these three points that I'm coming today all begins with the word what, okay? 
And when we see here the word what in verses 18, the second what is actually should trigger us to say, oh, this is the second content of what it is that Paul wants the believers to know and what it is that Paul prays to God for the believers in Ephesus to know deeply in a real relational way. When it says, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints? The, uh, what we see here is the focus of the content is the word riches. The word riches. What we should pray for other believers to know is the riches. And this term actually has the idea of abundance. Not just a little bit, but abundance of riches or abundance of wealth. Okay. In fact, this word is actually where we get the root word for um, plutocrats, right? Or, you know, when a government is ruled by the rich. Okay. Um, Paul wants us to know that we as believers are what? Are rich. Okay. Now, is this verse saying, talking about prosperity gospel or material wealth? Um, I don't think necessarily, because this is talking about all believers, what we have. And if you see other parts of the New Testament, other parts of the New Testament, uh, for instance, in Galatians or, or even the book of Acts, you know, or Philippians, you know that there are also poor believers. There's even believers that are slaves. Okay, So when it says here in terms of the riches, uh, the riches, I think it's not focusing on physical riches, but it's a rich that is spiritual because it must be for all believers. Paul now is actually looking towards things in the future, whereas earlier part number one, point one, we looked at the past. What God has done is what he wants them to know. Now he wants the believers to know something that God has done or will do for us in the future. Okay. Uh, because it says the riches, what is the riches that we have? Is It goes on and says his inheritance. Okay, the glory of his inheritance. Um, the glory refers to things that ref, uh, uh, things of God that reflects his essence. Okay, uh, but I want to focus in on the word inheritance. Ephesians 1, uh, in the book of Ephesians in general, just as we've gone over um, the last few weeks, is we've seen that inheritance is a big theme in the book of Ephesians, okay? Um, we began this series when we looked at Ephesians by saying that if you were to have someone suddenly come up to you and say, you have an inheritance, would you read that will carefully? Yes. Some of us will be read it so carefully, we, wanna, we don't even trust ourselves, we would hire lawyers, yes? We would hire lawyers to make sure we get exactly what we want. Now, God has given us an advocate, okay? Um, it's interesting when um, Scripture says uh, Christ is our advocate in 1 John 2. That's a legal term of advocate, okay? God has given us an advocate. The way we read the blessing in the will of God in the book of Ephesians is through the legal advocate of Christ, okay? And what He's accomplished for us. And when you see here the word inheritance, I think it's a rich term. It shows, um, I think there's a richness here in the sense that inheritance shows uh, who gets an inheritance in the book of Ephesians is two sources or is two recipients. It's us and also God. Okay. Now, if you remember earlier in Ephesians 1.14, uh, Ephesians 1.14, let me read that real quick. It says, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Verses 14 shows us that we as believers get an inheritance. Okay, We as believers get an inheritance. But then also if you look earlier in verses 11, verses 11 says this, Also, we have 
um, uh, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. If you guys remember uh, months ago now, verse when we looked at verse 11, I made the argument that the best way to understand verse 11 is that God also gets an inheritance. So we get inheritance. What is the inheritance we have? The Holy Spirit, okay? Um, other spiritual blessings. But God's inheritance is what? Is through the death of Jesus Christ, is He gets us, the church, also as well, okay? Through the work of the... Holy Spirit and the work of God the Father, of course, and also the work of Christ, paying the costs, laying down the um, the costs so that we would be redeemed, that is purchased as a gift to God the Father, that He gets an inheritance. So this theme of inheritance, I think, is very rich, okay, uh, in light of this. But I think what it's focused on in verses 14 now is we as the recipients, what we get as an inheritance. Um, okay. So here we see believers, right? Uh, we will have certain things when we go to heaven. Now, God has always says in God's word, we're always saved by grace. Amen? We're not saved by our works because we can never do enough good things to go to heaven. But scripture also teaches idea of reward. Again, not that we're deserving. Not that we could do good works and say, God, hey, you must give me this. But scripture also says when we are faithful, when we are faithful to him, God also gives us reward, and I love that. God's Word doesn't focus on necessarily skill or, or, or how many gifts you have, but how faithful you are to your gifts, okay? How faithful you are to your gifts. This is why as believers, we have to be very careful of judging other believers. Some believers, God might have given them multiple gifts, but we, they're not as faithful. Let's just say their faithfulness is, I don't know, arbitrarily we'll say 50% capacity of all their gifts but we outwardly say whoa this guy is very faithful but they're not as faithful in the stewardship of their time and everything outwardly we would say wow their capacity is very great to do good things but they might not have been as faithful to every single gift that god has given them and to their time it's just they're very good uh, uh with the gifts they have that we outwardly see oh yeah there's many things manifest in terms of quantity but in terms of what god's looking for is actually faithfulness to what it is that God has already given us, okay? To what God has given us. This should slow us down to judge other believers. This should also be sobering to say, just because you have multiple gifts, doesn't mean everything's okay. Um, I mean, praise the Lord you do. But also, how faithful are you to what God has called you to do? Okay? So pray for other believers then, therefore, to know the wealth of inheritance. All of us will have an inheritance. We all will be saved. We will all have Christ and God as the greatest inheritance of all. But also, I think it is important as application to realize that we don't only live for this side of eternity now, right? Um, I'm in this age where, in terms of my age, where some of my other fellow pastors and some of you guys at church say, Hey, Jimmy, you should definitely be thinking about what does your retirement look like? I need to still figure that out. Right, some of us have for retirement. What is it called? A uh, this is uh, ignorant. I four one k. Is that what it is? Shake your head. Yes. Okay. Um, people have different ways of trying to do retirement, and that retirement is important. We should definitely be wise steward of our um, possession and finance right now, but don't also neglect our eternity also as well. Okay. Now, as application, do you know? What God in the future has in store for us. 
Do you know what they are? And do you know what it is? Okay, Scripture, I think, is very rich of what God describes, of what the work of Christ, and what does heaven even look like, and what does eternity look like. Um, I recommend you guys to study that, so that it gives you hope even now. The way you get hope is looking to the past what God promised He has done, and accomplished through Christ, but also towards the future, you have hope in light of what God, and, and we don't have the time to expound on that. I would encourage you guys to really read Randy Alcorn's book, Money, Possession, and Eternity. Um, it's about 400 pages, but if you want the short version, he has a book called Treasure Principle, like very small, thin, uh, I think under 100 pages, to see what it is that God has for us in heaven, okay? Sometimes we, the way we picture heaven, I think a lot of us picture Something in the sky, okay? We picture maybe um, we float around like Casper, okay? Um, we play some harps, okay? But I think that's more maybe Greek philosophy, Platonic uh, philosophy that has that idea of heaven where we can almost think it's boring. But scripture actually says once we go to new heaven, we also come back down to new earth, okay? Where there will be, uh, we will have a physical body, right? I remember as a young believer, first getting saved, thinking, oh, when I die, maybe I'll go to heaven, play the harp, wear something white, and maybe like, what do you call those things? Halos, and maybe play with my halo. Man, it's pretty boring, but I want to do more other things too. But you know what? God has wired us. We are physical beings. We will be in heaven, and then we'll come back down. We're physical, and there will be a hope that we have. Okay, There will be a hope of restored new heaven, new earth also as well, that we will be able to have fellowship with one another. And when we study that, that should definitely encourage even the way we live our life now, okay? Even the way we live our life now, okay? Um, do you focus on, as application question, do you know what's in the future, what God has in store for us, right? Um, do you have what God has in store for us, okay? Oh, Nancy, would you be able to get me the Saddam Hussein's book? Uh, uh, hold it quick. Could you get me the Saddam Hussein's money real quick as an illustration? So as application uh, question, as application, uh, pray for other believers to know the wealth of your inheritance, okay? By the way, as application, I think that also means that the way we live our life, this impacts, uh, sometimes we think the Bible makes it so much pie in the sky of what we will do in the future, okay? Um, and we, we no relevance now. But I think the more we understand what it is that we have in store in the future, that impacts the way we live now. That live impacts the way we live now. For instance, just one area um, as application, it affects finance, right? Um, my wife and I, we do give and support various causes, okay? You guys know that it's in my heart to support the orphanage in Nepal. Um, I'm doing this because I love the kids. But the other reason why I do that is also because in light of eternity, I also want to do things that count for God right now, but also in light of, wow, even additional blessing, faithfulness to God now. Why would I not also be able to be faithful now with my finance for my heavenly reward? Again, none of this saves me, okay? If you understand the inheritance of your, the wealth of your inheritance, that changed the way you view your money now, okay? If you guys could look with me real quick in the screen, I hope you guys are able to see me, okay? Uh, I'm going to show you a currency. And this is the currency that I have. If you guys look in real quick, you could always tell a country's currency by what? The face of their leader, okay? Anyone want to unmute and say, who's a face here? Anyone Anyone by chance might know? Saddam. Saddam. Jin knows, right? Okay. Jim was Jin spent spring break there in 2003 with Invasion, okay? I bring it as to say is this. 
I have a whole bunch of these, okay? The reason why I had a whole bunch of these was because when I was younger, in 2003, uh, when I was in Iraq, uh, Jin just invaded and we just kind of took over after that, okay? Or, or Jin with the Marines, well, his unit invaded. And then we just kind of run shop there. And one of the things I was amazed over there is we would go buy food sometimes, okay? And then we would buy food. And if we were trying to use this money, do you think the Iraqi people really wanted to, you know, like let's just say I go buy soda and I go buy chicken for all my fellow Marines. When I use this money, which would they take, this or USD? What do you guys think? After a while, they didn't want to use this. You know why? Because of who's on the face in here, right? Because this guy's no longer the leader, okay? Now, sure, they had some of these because they still need to get by every day. But then they're, if they would have the choice between this or USD, they would pick what? USD every time. You know why? Because they're looking to the future. They're looking to the future. They realize, yes, this has temporal value for the time. But then for the long term, what they want is something, not that they're a fan of U.S. currency or the face of the, but they're looking in the long term or something that's a value that lasts longer than temporary. But could I say just one thing? That's just like us. In this world, in this world, we're looking so much investing in this right now. Something that we can't take with us into heaven uh, and a new heaven and new earth. And what I want to encourage you is that if you know as we see, we need to pray for believers to live in light of eternity. To live their life changed now. Yes, doing all these things. But we're living for more. We're living for what is in the future also as well. My brothers and sisters... We need to pray that we also live not just only here for right now. There is a sense we need, we need this sometimes, right? To get by with things temporarily in this transitional season uh, uh, be between the new heaven and new earth, right? Um, but at the same time, let us live for something more. And we need to pray that we know this in our own life. But also we pray for other believers to live in this light. That we are investing in things with future eternal things of value also as well. Okay, so we need to pray not only for ourselves to live in light of uh, heavenly investments, to live in light of eternity, to live in the light of the fact that Scripture also says we already have an inheritance, okay? This is already something we would have also as well. And therefore, I think this live changes the way we live, okay? Changes the way we live. Some of you guys know that our church, before I was a pastor, we used to have a pastor a uh, Japanese-American guy named Rich Katakawa. After he left our church, he went to what he always advertised is the world's smallest church. It was a church where at one point, it was only like four people, okay? Uh, his church is not four people now, but at one point. I remember he asked me one time to preach for his church of four people. Now, if you ask me, if there's one church I sweat more than any other church to preach at, it was his church. Because he is, I think, very good with the Word of God. And every time, is always asking, did you read this? Did you study this? Um, are you sure? Why do you hold this view? Okay. So I always felt like when I was a young man going preaching there, that was almost where I went to take my finals. Every three, six months, going to his church. Because it was always like, I know, like, I need to go bring my A game, so to speak, right? But I remember we would go and he always say, you know what? My church is so small, I could never give you an honorarium. And I said, it's okay, right? Um, and he also said, but can I just cover your dinner? And I felt so bad. This is a pastor of a church with four people, okay? Um, but I would always tell him, you know, like, you know what, Rich? I think you're rich. And he's like, no, I'm not rich. I was like, I think you are rich. I think you're spiritually rich in Christ. Because what everything you do is for eternity. 
it counts. Your inheritance will be rich. My brothers and sisters, could I say this also as well? I think we should be wise in our finance. I think we should be wise in our finance, but in terms of humanly speaking. But also, don't ever forget, even with all we do things to save for the future or, or increase our wealth, we should do that. It is, it is biblical if we have the right heart. But also, I think sometimes we need to realize when we live for God in light of eternity, sometimes it might mean we give a little bit to the point it hurts. And let me say this. This is not guilt tripping here as to give money, okay? I'm also very encouraged, brothers and sisters, that we are not meeting physically. Whenever Victor shares our giving, I'm encouraged to see believers are giving. And by the way, brothers and sisters, I don't, you guys know in our church, I don't know every one of you guys giving financially, okay? If you come to me and tell me how much you give, I'm going to close my ear. Why? Because I don't want to know. Because I, I also don't want favoritism, right? Okay? And also, I think it is a God-honoring thing to honor the privacy of giving. But I know in general, looking at the number, like people are giving. And by the way, all those money you guys do give, we are also helping those, even this time, in need. And that speaks to me that people are understanding the perspective of, yes, we love people now, but also people are living in light of eternal perspective. That we're not living only for how much we get money right now, but we're doing this out of love for God because He loves us, and we're living the light of eternity. Let us now go to point number two, uh, three. Okay, if point number two is that we pray for other believers to know the wealth of our inheritance. Okay, point number three is this. Pray for other believers to know the greatness of His power. Pray for other believers to go to greatness of His power. Now, for the sake of time, I think there's a lot of detail here. We're going to continue looking at this point in next week's sermon. For now, we're only going to be focusing on verses 19. For now, we're going to be only focusing on verses 19. And in verse 20 to 23, it's still about the power of God. Okay. Um, I think, uh, just in case you guys are wondering why am I doing this, I think I'm justified doing this because Paul, with this third content of what he prays for, he's actually focusing, it's kind of uneven, right? He's looking at a bit of a uh, section in verse 18. Uh, part of a verse in verse 18 established point number one, what we need to know. Uh, point number two is a section, a little part of, uh, not even a full verse in verse 18 of what we need to know. But then the third part he's focusing on is uneven because it's focusing on the present. And that is what? Point number three, pray for other believers to know the greatness of His power. And then he's going to go to details in verses 20 to 23, what it is. But here in verses 19, he's going to show the magnitude of God's power that we need to know. And we also should pray for other believers to know. Verses 19, if I could read verse 19 real quick, says, And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of His power of His might. Okay? So, in verses 19, it's focusing now on what God wants us to know, what Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus to know, and what we should know and pray for other believers to know is the power of God. Now, the details of how His power is manifested is going to be in verses 20 to 23, which we cover next week. But here we see its magnitude. In other words, we're going to see how great His power is. Okay, We're going to see how great His power is. Verses 19. Uh, when we see here, there's actually four terms for power here. There's actually going to be four terms for power here. I'm going to look at these four terms. Okay. Um, they're synonymous 
they're synonymous, um, and some of your versions might use different terms, okay? But I'm going to be using the New American Standard Bible to give this. Um, some of the version might have the word slightly different, okay? Um, that's okay. Those are English translation of what's going on in the Greek, okay? Um, there's four terms, and I, they're synonymous, but I think they each have different shade of meaning, okay? Um, when Paul uses these four terms, each term time he's using, he's trying to emphasize something a little different of each, just to show us very clearly that God is very powerful. His point is trying to say, God is very, very powerful, and we need to know this, and Paul therefore prays for the believers at Ephesus to know this, and therefore we also should pray for other believers to know, and so should we as well. Um, the first term, or these are the four terms. The term is as it appears, or in the, the way it is, the word that term that is used in the New American Standard Bible is number one, power. Power. Number two is the word working. Number two is the word working. Number three is the word strength. Strength. And number four is the word might. Let me repeat that again because I do see some of you guys taking notes. The four terms that we're going to be looking at to see the magnitude of Christ's power that we should know is number one, the word power, the word working, the word strength, and the word might. Okay? Um, if your word says something else, like I said earlier, um, it's okay. These are all terms for power. Okay? Um, but each with a little bit of shade of meaning to cover a different aspect of God's power. Let's look at the first word. The word is um, power. And by the way, all these collectively is to emphasize God is definitely very, very powerful. We need to know that, and we need to pray for other believers to know that. Okay. Looking at the first word for power, um, the Greek word is dunamius. Okay, I can't pronounce my Greek. It's the best I could pronounce. Okay. If you pay attention with that, it almost sounds like our English word dynamite because that is where the English word for dynamite derives from. Okay. The first one is um, where we get our English word uh, dynamite. This word appears quite a bit in the New Testament. It appears 119 times, okay? 119 times. In fact, Paul uses it five times in the book of Ephesians. Um, it has the meaning of power or ability, okay? Power or ability. And then when you might ask, how is this word different than the other uh other well the you know the four word that's synonymous how is it different than the other three words that's synonymous i think the way it is different is that this word emphasizes in of ability and capacity okay it focuses on the potential power of god that even if god is not doing anything he still possesses all these power okay um if i could give an illustration for th this word okay um this is not original to me this is one of the commentaries i i was using um you gave the analogy of let's just say you look at a bulldozer. A, someone's trying to use a bulldozer to hit, uh, to knock down trees, okay, to uproot trees. Um, so when you look at the truck, even before it's on, you'll be like, Whoa, this looks really big and this has a lot of potential power, okay. Even at rest, you see the the power it has, it, it capacity where you can look at a you know, a little kid could look at a bulldozer and say, Whoa, wow, this is amazing, okay. So God has power. Even when He doesn't do anything, He He has so much potential of power, and we're even at all with that. And we need to know that He has these great potential, capacity, and capability, and ability 
to do great things, okay? We need to know he's capable of doing great things. Even at rest, he has all these inherent power also as well, okay? The second word for power in our English word is the word working, okay? Some of your versions would say work or working. Um, this word is where we get our English word energize, okay? This verb is where we get the English verb energy or energize, okay? Um, this is actual power. In contrast, the first word is about potential power or power at rest. This work word is actually power when it's actually doing something, okay? Power when it's actually doing something in the Greek, okay? Um, appears eight times in the New Testament, three times in Ephesians. In fact, as we go through each one, you'll see that these different terms appear more than once in the book of Ephesians. So one could even argue that one of the purpose of the book of Ephesians is to remind us of power, okay? The power of God. It's to remind us about the power of God. The power of God specifically to save and to sanctify and to help us serve Him and also help us in time of need, okay? So we see here this word uh, appears three times, Ephesians 1.19. Later on again in chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, chapter 3, verse 7. And later 4, verse 16. So all the time it's always used in the New Testament. It always referred to supernatural power, by the way. I don't think it's inherently supernatural. But in this New Testament, every time it's referring to that. Whether that of Satan, okay? Whether to that of Satan. Or to God. And God, whether directly or indirectly, Okay? Um, so when you look at this word, you might say, how does it, how is it different than the other terms? Why did he use this term in light of the other term? Uh, I think this one, like I said earlier, it emphasizes power in action, emphasizes power in action. If I could go back to analogy from one of the commentary that I read, going back to the analogy of the bulldozer and that's trying to uproot a tree. This is when you turn on the bulldozer and then you see it in action. It's knocking down a tree. You're like, whoa, this bulldozer has power. It just knocked down a tree. That's what it's trying to emphasize, okay? One, remember the first one? Is to say potential power. You look at it as like, wow, this is also really big and very powerful already. And secondly, now you're seeing this. The engine is turning on. It's revving, so to speak, okay? And it just knocked down a tree. You're like, whoa, that's very powerful, okay? So we need to know God's power in action, okay? And this is what Paul is praying for the believers in Ephesus to know. And for we should also pray for other believers and that we ourselves should know. Okay. Third word that appears is the word strength. Some of your version, well, in my own translation, I translate that might. Okay. The ter third term here is uh, um, we see in the New Testament it appears 12 times. Okay. Again, always referring to supernatural power, whether that to the devil or of God. But also this term also refers to Christ's power also as well. Again, always supernatural in its usage, okay? Um, this term, uh, we see it's used elsewhere to show in terms of power, in terms of victory, okay? In terms of military victory also as well, okay? So as a different than the other terms, um, this word is referring to um, inherent power or possession where it's accomplishing something. But it, it's accomplishing something, not just barely making it, but it's the sense of overwhelming victory, okay? Overwhelming victory in, in its usage, okay? 
Um, this is the idea of like you look at, remember going back to the bulldozer analogy? Um, the bulldozer's just knocked out the tree and you're like, whoa, it worked. But when it does it, it's not barely knocking over the tree. It's like overwhelmingly knocking it down. You're like, whoa, it just crunched it just like that. It just simply, it's so easily done that. It didn't destroy the bulldozer, okay? It didn't destroy the bulldozer or the bulldozer had a hard time and took a long time. It just simply does it and you're like, whoa, this is overwhelming, victorious power, okay? We need to know God has overwhelming, victorious power also as well, okay? And the last word for uh, power is the word might that's translated in the NASB. Uh, I translated that as strength in my own translation. Um, this word appears a hundred times in the New Testament. Oh, correction. Old Testament, Old Testament translation of the Greek, what is called substitution, appears a hundred times. Ten times only in the New Testament. Uh, twice in Ephesians, this verse 119 and later chapter 6 verse 10. In contrast with the other four, um, it speaks more of inherent uh, power, okay? Inherent power. Um, I think focusing on the power it has within itself, whether potential or not, this is the power that comes from itself. It's not uh, something else gives it power, but it's power within itself. Now, why is all these terms important? I think it's trying to emphasize to us that God is very powerful. Now, next week when we pick up verses 21 to 23, we're going to see how God's power manifests itself in all believers in that He saves us through Christ, okay? Um, but here I want to show definitely we need to know God is all-powerful. We need to know God is very powerful. So as application, when we go through trials and difficulties, sometimes we might wonder, is God all-powerful? And I think we need to be go with the Bible first instead of experience. And it says the Bible is very clear, God's Word is very clear, teaching us God, God is all-powerful. Now, we might say, God is all-powerful. Why didn't He remove it? I think then we need to extrapolate from this. If God's all-powerful and He knows what we're going through, that means, I think, as an application, God allows us to go through those trials and difficulties for a reason. To grow us, uh, to so that we'd be able to minister to others. Many reasons, okay? Many possible reasons. Some of the reasons we might not know right away. Sometimes the reasons we don't even know until we go to heaven. Okay? I want to say this up front. But one thing we need to realize is that He is all-powerful. And we should not say, oh, maybe the reason why I go through all these trials is because God is not powerful enough for us. But rather, we see Paul's praying that the believers at Ephesus would know the magnitude of His power. And therefore, we as believers, as readers of the book of Ephesians, need to know also as well that God is all-powerful. That God is all-powerful. Listen, the reason why, one of the reasons why we pray, if you really think about it, we need uh, prayer presupposes, that is, it assumes that God is all-powerful. True or not? Now, it might be God's will is He might not do a certain thing. He might allow or permit certain things um, that's hard for us. But one thing we should never say is, okay, God is not all-powerful. Because when we pray, we are assuming one of the prerequisites of prayer is that God is all-powerful. When we pray, dear God, heal this, um, our friend with coronavirus or a family member as we've been praying right for different um, people throughout this season. When we pray, we're assuming that God is all-powerful in the field of biology, in the field of medicine. Okay. Um, when we pray for God to save people and say, dear God, this person has not, tr does not believe in you. 
could you save them? We assume that God has power even in the area of spiritual matter and even of salvation also as well. Okay, When we pray for um, government officials to have wisdom, we're assuming that God is, has authority and power over wisdom. And God is also ha- able to work in individuals to have that. And God also has power even over history also as well with that. So in light of this, we need to know God's all-powerful and we need to pray. Listen, anytime we pray, when we pray for all things, we give God glory by acknowledging that He is all-powerful. When we're talking to God, we yes, we're telling what we want, but we're doing more than just saying what we want. We're also going to God, petitioning for others and ourselves, knowing that He's a good God. And I think in all prayers, we should also be thankful, thanking God, Lord God, whatever way you answer, I know you're all-powerful. And that when you answer my prayer, we should be what? Be thankful, giving prayer of thanksgiving, thanking Him for His answer of our prayer. And therefore, we glorify Him and we exalt Him and we praise Him because He is all-powerful. Now, we could display strength in different ways, right? We could display strength in different ways, right? Some people display their strength by flexing, okay? Some people by displaying it, by going on Facebook, social media, showing how fast they run. None of those things wrong in of itself, okay? But you know how did God display His strength? He displayed it with humility. As you see in verses 20 to 23, it focuses on Christ. Christ, who is God the Son, the second person, the Trinity, yet came down fully man to die for us. So even when you see verses 20 to 23, like, whoa, Christ is exalted, how powerful He is. He has everything under His feet, as we'll explore next week. Don't ever forget, there's still even in this great display it presupposes His love by coming on earth and His humility by coming on earth to die for our sin, a most humble death, dying on the cross for our sins. And I want to encourage you today in ending this note and saying, have you turned to Christ? Have you turned to Christ? Have you trusted this loving Savior that we've gone over the last few weeks, that He came on earth, He died for us, that Christ the Son was humble enough to submit to God the Father's plan to go through all that suffering so that He would die for you and I. And if you today have not trusted in Him, I do want to encourage you to say, I want, I admit I am a sinner and this is why Christ died. And I want to believe and I want to trust in Him. And even if today you struggle to want to believe in Him, I think there's a place you could even say, just like in Mark, book of Mark, like the one individual saying, help me in my unbelief. <coughs> Cry out to Him. Say, I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. And I think He is gracious. He will work in you, work in your will, work in your nature, and regenerate you. So in light of this, turn to Him. And He is. The reason why we want to know everything is what? Why do we want to know all these things about Him as we even go over next week? Is because ultimately it's because we love Him, right? I know a lot of details about my wife, and I think my wife knows a lot of details about me. You know, sometimes when we're at home, I ask my wife, okay, you know what, what do you guys want to eat? And my wife says, just like most couple, right? Oh, I don't know, right? So as a joke, I tell my wife, um, let's, go to, let's go eat at our favorite place. Uh, my wife doesn't fall for this anymore. Before, my wife would always fall for it and say, oh, well, uh, like, yeah, we'll go to wherever, right? Now, you know, she says, like, what is my favorite place? And I realize, yeah, I don't know. I'm asking this so that you would be able to give the answer where we will eat, right? And listen, 
I know details about my wife. My wife knows where I like to eat. But why does it all matter? Because what? Because of love. Every detail, you might be saying it's trivial. Why I want to know is because we, we love each other, right? <clears throat> Same way, why we want to know about Christ, why we want to pray for other believers to know all these things, it's because we love other believers and because we also love God and Christ because of how much He's loved us. He came on earth. Christ came on earth to die for our sin. Why would we not want to know Him? And why would we not want to pray for those who love, that, that we love, that they know Christ and God's love also as well. Let's close in a word of prayer.